Cotter, international, longtime kettlebell guru. Uh, been traveling the world for, I mean, I don't know how many years. I've seen your name. I've seen Long you uh, just around. I mean, the Latin America, like I've just seen you seen you around forever. Thank you so much for coming up. Martial artist, longtime martial artist as well. So thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great, yeah. great to be here. Seeing you uh, uh, doing kettlebells with Shanji Ribeiro and, yes. and Solo. Right, right. Who was like, I was telling you, like my my favorite kind of, uh, he's like the goat for me, you know, the uh-huh. greatest of all time for jujitsu. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to, to, to train with him. He's, he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, tactician. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Where, where are you from? Are you from California? I've been out since 82, 82. so I, I moved out uh, when I was 12 years old. I was born in New York, yeah, and then I lived there till I was nine, and then I lived in Philadelphia for three years, and then finally came out to California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Philly. So, uh, okay, and, and and you got involved with kettlebells later once you got to California? Yeah, so uh, kettlebells, you know, nobody knew about them right, back right, right. then. Uh, you know, kettlebells kind of came to the West in 2001. So I got involved in those early days. You know, my my first kettlebell I touched like in 2001. When you were still in Philly? No, no, back here. Back, yeah, back so here, I, okay. I came out of California to 80, 82, 82 when I was 12. Yeah, so I didn't, you know, I didn't get into kettlebells till it was just starting in the U.S. like uh, 2001. I was 30, 31, almost 32 okay. at that point. Okay. Yeah. So go, going back to you moved from, you know, to from East Coast to yep. L.A. What brought, what brought you to L.A.? Yes. Yeah, so, sorry, LA, California. Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. San Diego. So actually my oldest two brothers, uh, you know, I was living so the story is I was living in Philadelphia with my cause I'm the youngest of five kids. Uh my older brothers are much older. So it was myself and my sister living with my mom. And uh she ended up being unemployed. She lost her job, so we ended up moving in with a friend of friend of hers in uh, inner city Philly. Wow. In an area called Overbrook, which is like, I don't know about now, but at that time it was a very rough. We were like, I was like going to be the the only white kid in like an all African-American school, you know, and my older brother in a rough part of town. And my older brother, John, was living out here and my older brother, Mike. And John was saying, man, I'm really concerned about Steve. He's going to get in some problems out there. You know, I was a small kid and everything, too. And so he convinced my mom let us bring him out to California. We'll, we'll supervise him, you know, out, out here. And she agreed. So, you know, I, they, she sent me out to California and I uh, started living with them, got involved. They got me involved. Who, in who was that here? In so my oldest two brothers were Your living brothers out in were San here. Diego. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. At that time. And they're all spread out, you know, all over now throughout through different States around the country. Yeah, and I ended up staying in San Diego. So <laughs> uh, in the hood and, and Philly. Yeah. And again, it, it was, Getting to t- you were in high school. No, I was. Yeah, let's see, I was. I was uh, gonna. I was twelve years old, so I was just gonna be going into seventh grade, and I was kind of living there in the summer before my. Gotcha. So it would have been probably junior high, but back there it was like junior, senior is one school. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like seventh through twelfth. Okay, cool. So you're, yeah. you're really California then, huh? Yeah, I'm a California guy. I'm, San a, Diego. I'm a New Yorker. Born in New York, East Coast. Live in California. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> and uh, did what? Did you play sports? Uh, yeah, as a kid, as a kid, I was a baseball guy. Okay, you know, and um, 
And then when I came out here, I, I stopped playing sports. I was doing Chinese martial arts as like my full time, mm. full time passion, and that became my first career teaching teaching martial arts as well. What what uh, what brought you to the martial arts? What attracted so you? So it was really my old oldest two brothers were training, and uh, you know, so they're like, yeah, I want you to come out to California learn learn kung fu. And back then, I was like, kung oh, fu. Bruce Lee, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and. Uh, so I didn't really know anything about it, but it was just my brothers and they got me involved and I, you know, and I was, there was no kids classes. So I was like the youngest guy and mm. training with adults and just got immersed into the, into the traditional Chinese martial arts, the culture and the, the, the meditation and the Qigong and, you know, the Chinese medicine as well as the martial art. And that, that really was my foundation for physical culture which later led me to go into, you know, fitness and kettlebells mm. and everything that came out of it. But I've always, the way that I teach the kettlebell, the way I approach it, I always approach it from the point of view of a martial artist. You know, it's, of a it's martial mind, artist. mind, body, and breath. It's, it's holistic movement. It's, uh, you know, integrated movement. Ne never really was looking at it as a bodybuilder or, or anything like that's, that. That's the sense I get when I watch you. And, uh, yeah, that's why, that's why. I, I want I wanted to talk to you and reach out to you in the first place because that's the sense that I got. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, thank you. That's that's what that's what it written. And it, it's principle what, based. You that's, know, that's how that's why I, I look at TACFIT as well. You know, mm -hmm. like that I, I feel like it's a martial art, but just with yourself, right? And right. That's how. Yeah. So. Yeah. And these are you know these tools opponent, are except for yourself. It, it's kind of these these handheld tools that have become, you know, popular in the last decade. You know, uh, really kettlebells and club bells probably being the, the foremost that has started with nowadays people are calling unconventional. Right. You know, and, but th these are handheld tools or they're, they're extensions of a hand. And we go back, you know, to our origins. Right. These are weapons. Right. And so it only goes as far as our ability to use our body. Right. You know, there's no magic. I mean, in it the seems tool. like even fitness, right? You say the term fitness, you know, but it's it was for for fighting, right? For you know, defending your, you know, your city, your, your yeah. community, your yeah. country. Absolutely. Right. You it know, was for, for like, you know, for that. In origins, we were, we came from tribes. All of us right. descend the from tribe. just a few tribes really. And it's like, if you, you know, it's either hunting and gathering or it's defending against maybe more aggressive tribes. And, you know, if you were better conditioned, if you could run faster, jump higher and were stronger, you had a better chance of survival and, you know, continuing the family line or the tribal line. That's it. You know, yeah. and then now we have fitness where we're living in these cities and existing in cubicles or everyone's right. in, you know, at a desk on their smartphone in a car and they're not moving their bodies, you know. So, so the way we live is so very different, but our physiology is the same as our ancestors from 100,000 years ago in the yeah. early evolution of man. Yeah. And so now we need to program fitness, whereas, you know, our great-grandparents weren't, they weren't working out. They were working with their bodies. Right. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm in the farm for 16 hours. Now I'm going to go get my workout. <laughs> no, you're going to sleep and do it again tomorrow. Right. You know, now it's like we're just, we have to exercise. Otherwise, we're, our bodies just stop functioning from, from the way our, you know, cities have grown and progressed. Right, right, right. right. Gotten soft, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moved out here. Chinese martial arts, kung fu, and then uh, and then how did the you you have a kinesiology degree, right? A yeah, college, like a, a degree in that. Yeah. Uh, how did that evolve? What made you want to go into that? Yeah. So so you know what happened was I was um, 
you know, my, my first uh, Sifu in the Chinese is the Sifu. And I'm very grateful to him. You know, he, he introduced me to the arts. And he was a pretty young guy. He was in his kind of early to mid-20s. Uh, about the same age as my older brothers. And I was like a 12-year-old kid, very impressionable. Um, he became sort of a father figure to me at that time. And, and my, you know, Kung Fu school was sort of like my surrogate family. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any parental supervision. And, uh, you know, and so I kind of started on that Because your path. brothers, your brothers were... Well, they were like young 20, 20s, yes. you know, they're getting high, they're working, they're, you know. And your, mom, like, your mom sent you out, out yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> she, she eventually came out to okay. California, you know, about a year after, you know. But at that point, I, I was very independent. You know, mm. I, I would say I was raised by yeah. wolves, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, and uh, didn't have that. Seventh grade, seventh grade, 12 years old, yeah. to be sent over to live with your older brothers. Yeah, flying across the country. I, I landed at LAX. I saw palm trees for the mm. first time in my life, you know, and it's a totally different world. And so um, I kind of started, I got into teaching when I was like 15. I started teaching kids at the uh, city city rec center where I was mm. living in a, outside of San Diego. And then uh, as I started, you know, 16, 17, I started kind of running some classes. And then when I was, I think, 18, 19, my Sifu got a serious lower back injury where he couldn't really do anything for a while. So I was just the person that was able, you know, first I was young mm. and I was training six days a week and I had, you know, a certain talent and the work ethic and just the schedule and freedom where he's like, I need you to cover classes for me. So I kind of adapted into that role where now I was running the school mm. myself and some of the older, you know, black belts. And I got really good at, you know, selling and, and people would come in and I could move S well. And, you know, so we built mm -hmm. the school up to where at one time we had about 300 people. You know, if for for just a single school. Were your brothers still training? Yeah, they were point? still training as well. And I, I kind of I passed them up in the sense, you know, as far as the skill. Just I started younger, and you know, I had the flexibility. And you were focused. You weren't yeah, doing what they were doing. Right. They, I wasn't. It wasn't a part time thing for me. It was a full time thing. You know, and so at that point, my late teens, I I figured, you know, I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. This is my career, mm. and I envisioned that yeah, I, I would be teaching kung fu forever. And so then as I kind of grew into a young man, um, I did, in my mid-20s, I did the full contact. I won two U.S. titles of a sport called Kuoshu, which is um, like full contact kung fu. We fight on a, on a lei tai. It's like a boxing ring with no ropes. If you remember that. Kuoshu? Kuoshu. If you remember that movie Bloodsport? Yeah. It was based on the same sport. Okay. They, they also call it San Shao, which is... San Shao, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. San Shao is like Li, the Chinese yeah. call it. Mm. Kong Li was the most accomplished fighter of, of San Shao that, you know, he went into, I think, UFC at one right, point. Right, he, right. he fought Shamrock. Um, so Kuo Shu is what they call it in Taiwan. And my, my Kung Fu lineage came out of the Taiwan. You know, it's basically the same sport, different names. And now they even call it Sanda. It's Sanda. just, just another, name, that, yeah. another name for the same thing. So it's that Chinese kickboxing. And, uh, you know, so, so basically what happened in my kind of mid to late twenties, my, my Sifu and I, at that time, we, we had a kind of a differences of opinion and, um, I kind of got excommunicated from the, <laughs> from the martial arts fam family, which is an old tale in the martial arts. These things happen, you know, and it was, um, so then I realized, well, I'm not going to be doing this the rest of my life. So now what? And I didn't have any idea what I was doing. And, and at this point, um, my first child had not been born. She was born a year later. 
Um, but I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And so I figured, well, let me see what, what, the, what the college offers, the local college down in San Diego, San Diego State. And I saw that they had a kinesiology program. And that was really appealing to me because I was always into training. I mean, I, I didn't really love the fighting. I, I did the fighting. But what I loved was because I, you know, na- now I'm not. Now, now I'm, a, you know, I realize I, I came to turn with my shadow side and the beast side. But mm. at that time, I always saw myself as like, oh, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to hurt people and this type of thing. Right. So I was really interested in the physical conditioning. That, and and at that in those years, I was literally training eight to ten hours a day. I was teaching four or five classes throughout the day, private lessons. I was doing the full contact at night. I was going to the That's gym after that. I was running up and down the mountain, you know, up and down twice on my lunch break. So that was the you know doing you know probably a thousand push-ups a day, a couple hundred one-legged squats a day, and just my conditioning was very high level. And that's what I love to do. And so I said, oh well. Let me get some academic background that, you know, I have all this experience, but let me let me start studying the science. So I went and that's what led me to, to go into study kinesiology, got my degree in 2001. I was 31 years old. And then at that time, it was, um, you know, kettlebells were just coming on the scene. And actually the kettlebells, the, the, the reason I was an early adapter is they were promoted in this catalog catalog called uh, Vitalics which was a martial art catalog. So I had been on their mailing list for years. I would buy like, you know, uh, VHS tapes on Qigong and Tai Chi and these types of things. And then I started seeing Pavel. Pavel, yeah. It's kind of, he's the originator, him and, and his business partner, John Duquesne. So John Dragon Duquesne. Door was the company. Dragon Door, yeah. Right. And they had this catalog called Vitalics. It was before Hardstyle even existed. You know, it was just like. A, I love hearing these stories. Yeah, because I'm, like origins. Yeah. And, you know, so I saw this, this, these advertisements, like in 2001, I started seeing, first I saw probably 2000, I saw Pavel stretching, I think it was called relax into stretch. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is interesting. And then I started seeing the kettlebell and, and, and this time I, I had been going to the gym. It was like 24 hour fitness. Now there was no CrossFit at that time, you know, and even MMA was brand new right. at that time. You know, um, I, MMA like started, I think. 93 was the first UFC, you know, so but then it was an underground for a lot of years. Yeah, in the 90s. right. Like in the Valle Tudo and right. before it came to the US. Right. And, you know, so um, training has evolved so much in, in those 20 years since then. What was what's available right. now right. compared to then, you know, and, and so I saw these kettlebells and I remember when I was going to 24 hour fitness, I never really liked it because like it didn't relate to the martial arts. It's like, yeah, you're building your biceps, but you're isolating muscles and it's like a social club. People are like standing in the mirror and I was really focused as a martial artist. Like I was focused on the internal. And so it never really, that gym scene never really resonated with me. And I was looking, you always always had that martial art mindset. Yeah. I was looking for something. I wanted to learn Olympic lifting, but the, the, the nearest Olympic coach was a guy, uh, Mike Bergner, who is a uh, Olympic U.S. Olympic coach. His son was a mm. Olympi- uh, national national champion at one point, but he was up in Bonsall, which was like an hour and a half north, and it wasn't practical for me to drive up there for you know Olympic lifting. So, and you know again there was no CrossFit, so you couldn't just go to twenty four hour fitness and learn Olympic lifting. And so I saw the kettlebell, and I saw how it kind of related that explosive type of full body movement, and I wanted to learn it, but at that time I hesitated because it was. 
there was only one company they were very expensive it was like 150 bucks for like a for like a one, one kettlebell. kettlebell you know and um you know i i i didn't i would didn't have the money and i did i didn't i couldn't justify pi- uh, paying that so i was still teaching uh like on the weekends i was teaching kung fu at a local park down mm. the road from where i was living and i i brought this catalog and showed my students and then two weeks later he shows up at the park and he's got kettlebells with him and uh you know so i picked it up for the first time and i i just did like a swing and you know just what i thought it would be and i felt immediately from the ground like mm. that connection that root coming from the stance and and just the power expressing and right away i was like oh man this is amazing and so then i ordered some and he actually and i i, I don't mind saying this because i think my statute of limitations has run out but he he burned me he pirated a copy of the of the vhs you know of pavel uh it was called the Russian kettlebell challenge. So I was like in my living room mm. following these exercises on the VHS tape. And I learned it really well, you know, at that time, cause it was pretty basic movements. Yeah. I had at this point, you know, more than almost 20 years of Kung Fu training behind me. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, so that's kind of how I got to start. I, I trained myself for about a year. He's, you can't take away. He's like the godfather of, yeah, of I mean, he's kettlebell in the history. US, he's, he's a prominent, he's a prominent guy. And, you know, in, in, in fact, you and I are probably here together, you know, with this as a result of, yeah. you know, I mean, I did, I did the strong first, uh, I did my snatch test just to, just out of respect, you know, yeah. to honor, you know, to yeah. honor that. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's a brilliant guy, very, very smart guy, but, you know, and so kettlebells has evolved a lot since then. You know, back then it was just one one source of right, information right, right. that the, the Russian champions were not were not even involved yet, you know, and uh, it took, took some years later. Um, you know, so I adapted to that program. I went, in 2003, I went to Pavel's course. This was before Strong First even existed. It was right, just, right, right. it was just, uh, what was the partner's name? RKC. Du- so John Duquesne, John was, Duquesne. was the owner of, right, still right. is, mm-hmm. of uh, Dragon Door. And he was like a marketing, marketing genius, really. Mm-hmm. And he kind of helped to create the, the legend of Pavel, yeah. you know, and, and the persona of it. And, um, you know, at that time, they were only doing courses in St. Paul, Minnesota. So if you wanted to learn kettlebells, didn't matter. St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, in the middle of like, there, huh? yeah, in the middle of nowhere in like this field at a rec center, you know, and you get like 50, 60 people from mm-hmm. all over. And so I was in one of those early groups. Uh, the, the, the first year was, uh, you would know a guy named Steve Maxwell. Right, right, who's right. A, who's a jujitsu black belt. And Steve mm-hmm. Maxwell was, a, was that first graduating class. Mm-hmm. And then I came a year later. And... Um, you know, so by the time I, I was like looking uh, on the Dragon Door forum back then, because back then the, it was even, I think, before Facebook existed. Right, YouTube right. was Just pretty the brand new. It was the era of the forums. Yeah. And like the big, the big kind of influential guys that were the first guys that were figured out how to make money and do business with fitness on the Internet. It was a guy, probably the big guy at that time was a guy named Matt Fury. Right, and I Matt, Fury Matt Fury had yeah. combat, con, combat conditioning, right. which is a huge seller. His Hindu push-ups. Yep, and then Pavel was one of the early guys, and Scott Sonnen was one of the early guys mm. that kind of was ahead of before mm. the trend and even before CrossFit. Right. And, you know, so I kind of was trailing behind that, and I saw, I was looking at what Pavel was doing. I was going to Dragon Door Forum, and something just called to me and said, I, I got to meet this guy, Pavel. And I wasn't... I didn't have a business plan in mind, but it was just something that was calling to me, like, this is what I should be doing. Mm. So I went to his uh, RKC course in 2003, 
And then I met Palvin right away. He's like, oh, Steve, comrade, you're, you know, you're, you're very strong and you know how to teach. Mm. And um, he's like, I'd like you to come back in the next, you know, in two months for our next course and be one of my assistants. So I, I came back the next and then at that point, he's like, I would like you to be one of my senior instructors. And, mm. you know, so then for about three years, I was working with Dragondor and Pavel. And, you know, and that, t that time we had like three courses a year out there in Minnesota. And I was, you know, uh, one of the one of the seniors that were you know, working with the with the uh, recruits at that point. Yeah. And, um, you know, just went from there. Then I evolved and I ended up starting my own organization in 2008, which is uh, the the IKFF, which is International Kettlebell and Fitness Federation. And then, it, you know, IKFF. Yeah. And since that time, I've, I was really the first guy, you know, so and it's not not to be arrogant. It's just just full transparency and, and truth is, you know, if we look at the history of the kettlebell and where it originated, I'm blessed to also have a place in that history because I was really the first guy that started taking it around the world. Mm. You know, internationally. Yeah. Because that's where I I've seen you too. Uh, you know, cause since I was so involved with TACFIT, I would see your name pop up. Right. And Costa Rica and Mexico and I mean, yeah, other places in Asia even. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all connected. And, and a lot of the people that are going to be attracted to TACFIT are also attracted to Kettlebell mm -hmm. because it's that unconventional right. kind of progressive trainer right. that's looking for what's next, what's good. And they're not satisfied with the bodybuilding and stuff like that. They right. want to they want to do functional type of movement. So so a lot of the same people are are sort of you know working with me and working with TacFit and great people. Um, yeah. So so that's kind of the path that uh, that I took and never actually had a real job in the sense I've always done you know associated my my profession with my passion. And been able to, you know, create a life just based on what I enjoy doing, what I would be doing anyway, even if there was no money involved. And, you know, that's something I really believe in because, uh, you know, being happy and feeling good and, and helping people is is, is a really a blessing yeah. to be able to do that. Did you ever, ever have moments where you were like, man, I... Maybe I should get a, a nine to five. I did. <laughs> you know, there was a period of time, uh, you know, and then, and then I kind of had a rebirth. And, and actually, I came back to the martial arts a couple of years ago, which we can get into that. Yeah. And, and then the jujitsu, right, the Brazilian right. jujitsu, which, which I love, um, you know. But there was a period of time where, because when I, when I started IKFF in 2008, uh, my very first course was in January 2008 in Hong Kong. So my first, Hong Kong, yeah, oh, my wow. first certification course was was actually in Hong Kong, and that first year, 2008, 2009, 2010, right out of the gate, I had a lot of people coming. You know, classes of 30, 40 people, because I had already start starting to become pretty well known at that point first through dragon door and you know pavel featured me in some of his books and naked warrior and mm. I, I had become known as like the guy that could jump up and down on a table on one leg are those like books the, still out there i think that i naked, think the naked, naked warrior the naked warrior it was a book he did on uh just body weight oh, how okay. to progress and it was the one arm push-up and the one the one legged I'm going to look that up. Pistol squat. Okay. You know, cool. so he had me featured. That time I was squatting, you know, double 32 kilos with one leg, you know, so like 64 kilos, 140 pounds. Um, you know, and so he featured me in the in the book for the for the pistol squat. And you know, so my name was getting out there through 
I didn't know anything about marketing, but Pavel's a great marketer. And, you know, my name started getting out there as a result of my work with Dragon Door initially. Um, obviously, I, I had an accomplishment in martial arts, which even gave me the possibility to, to get into that mm. and, and to excel at it. And, um, you know, then I started uh, creating DVDs like in 2004. So, so in 2005, I got connected to a company, which at that time they were kind of the biggest uh, MMA video company. It was called World Martial Arts. I remember that. Yeah. yeah so they came Based a little bit after videos. Budo. Like Budo Video is one of the first, but World Martial Arts was kind before of, that. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been before. It was in that same era, but but they actually were, were bringing on all the best guys in. Uh, what, what year was that? My my first project with them was 2005, but prior to that, he had already done. Uh, he had done a BJJ Revolution with Salo Hibero. He had brought right. In, that's it. He, that's it. Yeah. He did and, a then, Kenny and then Money. they were. I think they did even. Uh, Oleg Taratov even okay, did okay. like a Sambo video. He had. They were uh, involved in the jujitsu. I remember that. Yeah. I've never seen the name. Because back then, like. The Brazilians hadn't even come yet, right? So people were literally learning jujitsu off of videos, and you know UFC was was new, and people were like, "Oh, I want to learn jujitsu. I need to learn jujitsu." But there was only probably a handful of black belts in America at that time, and then the Br Brazilian wave came in, probably like started in the late nine late nineties. But you know now it's like Southern California have every every fight team from brazil has probably their headquarters yeah. out here now right yeah, right but, you know back then you didn't have that access and it's like the mecca now of jiu-jitsu yeah so yeah cool. and so so anyway uh the the world martial arts they had a thing on their website that said kettlebell training and it was all like you know it was all like judo jiu-jitsu they even had Cairo parisian did like a nogi judo DVD you had uh, Mario Sperry. He right, did a right, documentary right. called "The Way of the Zen" with Mario mm, Sperry yeah. and a bunch of really great grapplers. Um, and uh, Marcelo Garcia did a series with them. Uh, more recently, Ryan Hall did did the project with them. So he had these guys, and on their website it was kettlebell training. So one of my uh, kung fu students, he was he had moved up north and he was starting to do I think judo. So he he emailed me and said, hey, because he was looking for some judo videos and found this world martial arts. And he's like, hey, they have a kettlebell thing on their website. Maybe you should check it out. At this point, I had my first kettlebell DVD, which I created on my own, which was called Full Contact Kettlebells, where I was combining kettlebells with like martial art concepts and stances and uh, just set up like a two page website, a, a home page and a store. And I was taking orders. And so I, I saw that. Uh, website and i clicked on the contact and you know i clicked on the kettlebell train there was nothing there it just said we're bringing the best best information on kettlebell and there was nothing so i emailed the guy and i said hi i saw your website that you're doing something with kettlebells i'm steve cotter i'm one of the you know main kettlebell guys in the u.s and i gave him some video clips mm. from my from my uh dvd and so the next morning i wake up there's an email from him he's like call me so i call the guy's name is paul Veely. He's out in, he was out in New York at that time. And, you know, he picks up the phone, typical New Yorker. He's like, you're one strong motherfucker. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so we talk for about an hour and a half, and we decide, hey, let's do a project. So we start talking over, over a couple of weeks, and then I, eventually at 2005, I flew out there to New York, and we created, uh, which at that time, and even still, is the largest ever project on kettlebell training. It's called the Encyclopedia of Kettlebell Lifting. And it was kind of revolutionary because prior to that, 
all the DVDs were like maybe 20, 30 minutes, you know, and, and maybe there'd be five or eight or 10 exercises and they'd sell it for like 50 bucks. And we came out with this project encyclo encyclopedia of kettlebells that was like nine hours. It was on six DVDs. It was uh, almost 200 exercises and, and we, we charged 99.99. And I was still know nothing about marketing but paul Vili was you know very smart guy with with internet marketing he was putting out youtube clips everywhere and so that's what started giving me the international audience and i started getting emails oh, i got your dvd i love it you know i'm out here in barcelona I, mm. i'd love to you know get you out here to do a seminar and that's kind of what launched me on that path that really has never ended other than the COVID has changed it. Now right. I'm teaching on Zoom, Zoom whereas, right. you know, up until February this year, I was touring around the planet and, you know, it's, and, and it was just all word of mouth. It was like, I, my first, my first one was in Iceland and I then I, I did one that was like in uh, January, 2007. And then, and I, I went to UK or I went to uh, Singapore, uh, and a couple other countries, I went to UK. There was a guy at UK from, from Barcelona. He's like, hey, I want to bring you to Barcelona. And then I did this this uh, kind of boot camp seminar out in Connecticut. There was a guy from Singapore. He's like, hey, I want to get you out to Singapore. And it was just like that. It was personal yeah. contact. And people like what I was doing. They're like inviting me. And then I go to Singapore. He's like, oh, and I, I got a friend in Hong Kong. And, you know, I'm going to introduce you. So I email that guy. He's like, come to Hong Kong. And then there's an oh. He, he's got a contact in Thailand. I email her. She's like, oh, come out to, to Bangkok. And, these, and, and it just kind of went like that. And I was literally just flying all over the place. And, and then it took me. But anyway. You told me 60 countries? Yeah, 60 countries since, you know, since 2007. Well, 2006 was my first international. I was still with Dragondor at that time. We went to uh, Copenhagen, which was Dragondor's first international. But then from there, in 2007, I started doing seminars. And then finally, in 2008, I created the certification program. And, and yeah, so pretty much every, uh, every continent except for Antarctica, you know, Africa multiple times, uh, all throughout Asia, all throughout Europe, uh, South America, North America, and Australia a few times, New Zealand. Yeah, mm. so it was, uh, you know, and I, and I loved it. But there was a period, like you said, where um, I kind of started wondering, man, I, I wouldn't mind having a little stability. I wouldn't mind having a little bit of routine because it's like living out of a suitcase and, you know, trying to make a, a relationship work and a marriage work. And, you know, it was very difficult with, with I bet. you know, and, and so uh, there, there were times where I'd be sitting in some foreign country like, where am I, you know, where am I, what am I doing? And it's like, man, I would just love to wake up in my own bed, you know, and, you know, for a few years, and, and then also kind of the economy, you know, kind of went down and then sales weren't what they were. Right. And, and then, you know, but then I, I got a resurgence again in the last few years and uh, just got re-inspired and, and I, I took a different approach to it and realized that, you know, it's really a blessing to be able to provide a service and it's a blessing to be able to do something where I'm offering value and it's not just a job where I'm trying to collect a check, but rather I'm, I'm getting value by giving value. And what really inspired me was individuals that would come to me and like, you know, I took a course with, from you five years ago and that changed my life or, you know, or, or I see a guy that trained with me a long time ago and now he's doing 
exceptional and he's mm. teaching people and it's like you know what i i was instrumental in in being able to inspire that person you know and there's different events like that i was in ecuador a few years ago and there was a guy that he he has one arm so he had lost his arm in a motorcycle and you know he wanted to do the test and the test level one ikff it, it's quite quite difficult you know and so i was like this guy wants to do the test and he was able to clear it you know with one arm and it was just amazingly inspiring and that and that was just a reminder like man like if you have the desire if you have the willpower mm. you can overcome any difficulty and you know and that that was like just a great reminder for me of like why i'm i do what i do you know and uh it, it you know not that alone but different things like that uh just you know very humbling to to realize that um I, i'm in a i have the platform to be able to be a positive influence and, and sure. we can each do our own thing in our own way to you know as we say to make the world a better place we can inspire one person and that person can maybe inspire a hundred people and and that's how we create a a strong society a strong nation strong community you know it's, it's yeah, working you, you, you don't have a gym right like a, no your own, you know, i've never never had a gym i've always kind of gone to other people's facilities and and kind of brought brought the show on the road in that sense have you ever thought about having your own gym you know i have thought about it but really what my as far as goals you know i turned 50 this year but but Beast. um I keep myself your, your forms when you <laughs> walked in. <laughs> you know, I keep myself was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, actually, what what my objective is is I want to, um, you know, and there's no exact time lo line. Mm -hmm. It's as long as it takes. Yeah. But I'm committed to to get my black belt in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. And um, at what, that what, point, what belt? What belt are you now? I'm blue. I've been training two years mm -hmm. uh, under Salo and Shanji Hibero, and. Um, you know, so it's it's a long term path, and obviously it starts at black belt. It doesn't end at black belt, but that's a, obviously a significant. That's amazing, you know. Yeah. And at this point, my focus is okay. When I'm ready, I'm going to go to purple, and then mm. from there, it's like you yeah. know. So it's I'm not skipping any steps because mm. you can't. Right. Um. And and I'm in it for the long haul. But you know, in terms of if I want to open my place, what I really want to do is when I'm qualified and when I earn that level, I want to open my own school. And, you know, at that point, uh, because I'm a martial artist first and foremost. Right, right. And, you know, I love the Kung Fu. The Kung Fu really gave me my foundation and movement. It taught me about grace and fluidity and flexibility. But from a from a practical, you know, mano a mano, <laughs> mano, a mano point of view, the jiu-jitsu is a super efficient. And, you know, I don't it like works. to make comparison because right, it comes it down to the man. It doesn't right, come down right, to right, the right, art. But a lot of what i feel i learned in kung fu it was like 50 percent practical and 50 percent fantastical like yeah. it's great in the movies but i think too, it like hasn't adapted to the modern times so effectively the way that jujitsu is like you know especially with solo it's like a hundred percent of what i'm learning has been battle tested at the highest level so yeah. i don't even have to question does this work or not and i never had that confidence in kung fu i was always like okay yeah i can pull it off of these students but can I really use this in a real fight? You know what I mean? And it's like now there's no question <laughs> that whatever your level is, what you're learning, it's it's real stuff. And, and I just love that. And I love the philosophy. And, 
you know, so that's kind of my my midterm goal over the next several years. I want to get to a Love level it. where I'm qualified. Are you to talking teach. to the <laughs> preach yeah. it to the choir? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then now integrate integrate that's my it, body of it, knowledge, the it. movement, the, the, the breathing, the movement, the yeah. meditation, the, the martial art, and Love you know, it. there's elements of kung fu that I still use. It's mm. really informed my mobility, my flexibility, my my meditation. You know, but um, I I want I guess I'm eclectic in the sense that I just care about improvement and what works i'm not married to any one system or one style if someone comes along can show me something that that i'm missing i'm happy to to embrace that and learn from that you know and and that that's for me i think that's one of my assets is that um, i'm not rigid to where oh yeah you know i i have this much this is my resume this is my experience and so there's nothing you can teach me Mm. and i think when you have that mentality you you start to die you know, and so my, I, I always see myself as a student, you know, and yes, I'm a teacher to a lot of people, but it's because I'm a student. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's kind of my goal. And, Black you know, belt with the mindset, with the white belt state of mind, right? Yeah. And you can't, nobody can mess with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we're uh, always strong. We always, because we need that challenge. We need to be growing. We need to be learning new things constantly for us to be healthy and 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 be our best right yeah absolutely and and i've learned so much through the you know through the jujitsu lineage you know and and and, you know we have the six blades but that that's just an interpretation of you know the 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 bushido really and it's it's the code you know and and things like respect and family and discipline and loyalty and honor you know and dedication these are guiding principles for life they're also guiding principles in the martial arts is because it's you know, and, and it took me it took me coming back to the martial arts to really appreciate a lot of these things because for so long, you know, just because of the way my life started and, and how I grew, I was always kinda going solo. And I always kinda had a, a an idea or a pride oh, I can do it on my own. Exactly. And I realized that, that that you don't have access to the greater power. You need to form a units and you need to have collaborations Tribe. because we all have strengths and weaknesses and you know, um be a part of a team. Yeah, you know, and, and, and having that understanding that's really changed my outlook and even how everything that I do, you know, and, and refocused on the importance of family and, you know, um friendships and, and camaraderie and it's like um, you have your strength. I have my strength. We have some of the same ones, but we have different ones. And when we can have that trust, and and you know, jujitsu, it's all about trust because this this guy's your brother, but he's trying to choke you, right. and you trust that he's not going to kill you, <laughs> and he trusts that you're not going to break his arm when you have the chance to do it. And without that trust, there's no progress, you know. And so that that's. That's just again the martial spirit is so uh, instrumental in yeah. in my entire life philosophy and 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 the the person that I focus on growing into and being. Yeah, when I think about kung fu, right? Of course, you're a part of a school and all that, but it's very solo, right? You're very, it's very solo, right? But yes. jujitsu, it's all contact, right? Yes. It's like straight up opposite of social distancing right it's right. the exact opposite you know yeah. like you're up in there you know you're 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 you know it's touch and and all that and i think i think that changes things you know yeah that absolutely. connection and and the trust right you're saying the trust and it really connects you to something bigger than yourself and that's the power you know that's the power and it's hard to do that with 
not to compare any of the other martial arts because there's benefits, right, and everything, and, and the striking, striking, and all that. I think you yes. should know everything, right? But with jujitsu, like, there's no way you have you have to accept, you have to be, a, you have to surrender, kind of, to that process, you know, and you surrender to the greater the greater power, right, of that, you know, the, something bigger than yourself. Yeah, you, you know, you know, Ricardo Laborio. By name, I don't know. He was who like he the is, founder of American Top Team. Yeah, and he's, the Brazilian he's top a legendary team. We, guy yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So we were just talking about that. You know, it's just much bigger than, much bigger, right? And we realize it's, it's much bigger than than just us. You know, and I think that's where where greatness lies, right? And, yeah, and surrendering to that. You know, being I really love the you know the Brazilian take and the perspective on the martial arts because for me it's a it's a incredible balance between you know one hand the tradition. But on the other hand, there's like this relaxed kind of, you know, for me as a young man, you know, moving down to Brazil as a teenager, right? Like um, just talking about human connection, just you add that Brazilian culture to that, you know, yeah. to that, to that connection and that it's like, it's the perfect storm, you know, like if you're a, you know, Northern European or wherever, some, some place a little bit more, more socially di socially distancing yeah you know? a stiff upper lip <laughs> yeah yeah you know uh, uh i don't think it would be the same as like a brazilian brazilian culture right right combined with you know jujitsu yeah i think so too i think the culture has a lot to do and even the climate and, right. and the you know demographics yeah, of it people just people being warmer and more friendly and um for me at least you know when i was younger i remember just that combination really it really changed my life you know really opened me up you know to like the group as well you know and i think it really i mean all the success i can attest in my life is because of those those years you know of living in brazil and really surrendering to the team and knowing that you know your your greatness lies because you're a part of a team yes yes and it's yeah i mean it's it, it and, it, and there's cultural differences and obviously like today the world is so much more integrated right. to where the, the differences in culture are not as extreme as they were, you know, even a couple of decades ago. Right. But in terms of the martial arts and the tradition and where they grow from is like the Chinese traditionally are very secretive. And it's like, you know, the last kata, like right. the, the teacher doesn't teach everything because it comes out of that caste system where, mm -hmm. you know, the, the peasant right. is always going to be a peasant and the king's always right. going to be a king. But if you're a good martial artist, you have a chance to maybe work for the emperor where mm. now you can be a you know, a palace boxing guard. So you make a better life. So it's like, I'm not going to teach this guy everything because I don't want him to defeat me and take my position. So it's like I'm holding back and there's that secretive element, you know, whereas that doesn't that doesn't exist so much in the. I think in the Brazilian approach to the martial art, at least from my experience. Yeah, I mean, like back in the day, it was different, right? You know, back in the day before the internet and YouTube's and all that, you know, it was definitely more secretive. Okay. Yeah, like in the '90s and stuff, you uh -huh. know, like, you know, you would have to, I would have to go to the tournaments and I would have to be with my big VHS tape, like recording. I'd have to find the guy with the VHS VHS recordings, okay. you know, of matches, and I would have, you'd have to really, you know, get the secrets from the guy, you know. But now you have, you know before it even happens in the tournament inside the gym right they have training training trainings you know available for you to watch right yeah so yeah. stuff is definitely it's changed a lot you know and i think it's good right yeah, it's, it's good because you're sharing the knowledge you know and uh i mean what we're at the end of the day it's like it's the it's the connections right it's the connections and like we were saying like the surrounding to the to the group and to the team you know it was really 
you know, makes you understand like you're part of something bigger and that, that makes you better because of that. Yeah. And you have to be humble, right? You have to like, you know, sure you can tap people out, but you know, eventually you're going to get tapped out too. And you have (laughs) to be okay with that And because of that. (laughs) Right. right. I I was, you know, my, my thing is like you, you swim with sharks, you become a shark and it's, I don't want to be a big fish in a small pond, Mm. you know, I'd rather be a small fish in the ocean and, you know, um, I'm happy to be the last guy if all the guys I'm training with are killers, yeah. you know, because then I'm yeah. going to become that's it like that versus it. okay, I'm in some small town and that's there's it. nobody and right. it's like okay, Big you deal, can beat yeah. up on the little kids, but yeah. <laughs> that's not a true. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read the book Tribe? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I saw it. Who, who's the author? <sighs> it was a uh, um, Junger. Um, he's messed up his name, you know, but he had the tribe, the tribe book. Okay, and that you know it took you know he he got into it because he started writing about PTSD, like, uh, some Vietnam soldiers. Uh. And he went down this whole, this whole like rabbit hole and, uh, really made me cause my dad who we went to Vietnam. And so I, I have some experience with that from that perspective, you know? Yes. And it made me, uh, uh, just really understand what I, what I do in the jiu-jitsu gym, you know? Wow. And, uh, you know, just what we, you know, cause we live in a, in a city with millions of people, Yep. but we're not connected right to anybody. But with jujitsu, and you know, and because I found TACFIT, and you know, I was I, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, like maybe 2012. Oh wow! And I had all these like neurological things, like a lot of people don't know. Like I talk I, about it now, you I know. know that my mother died of ALS, which is a which you know, is but a I had, you know, the, thing, the bottom yeah. line is I had a hard time walking, even talking. Oh wow! You know, a lot of things, you know, and I could still compete, you know, but the rest of the day I was wrecked, you know. Because I guess the, the jujitsu is just muscle memory for you, so it's you just to get me so excited, and you know your the, your will to win is just you know just overpowers everything. Your nervous system is just amazing. Our minds are amazing, right? And it shows you like yeah. the capability of our minds, right? Yeah. Uh, but with doing the right things, like you know the breath with the movement, the structure, like, and just listening to Scott's you know Scott's things and Scott's teachings, really, it really transformed me, you know, and brought me back. That's amazing. You know, I haven't gotten another brain MRI, but I know how I feel and how I'm functioning. And so that's why I'm like, it's, it's given me so much, you know, and, and yeah, not to go on that, that whole oh, that that's, way, but that's, that's, important. But, uh, that's incredible. But uh, maybe understand. And so I get the same thing. What I love about jujitsu, right? That connection, I get the same thing, you know, with the tack fit and all that, but also like you know, the right, that's why, that's why I wanted to reach out to you because I felt that same kind of uh, understanding. It's like a deeper understanding yeah, of like yeah. the martial arts and, and the mindset, you know, the martial art mindset going into into your, your training right into your yeah, training absolutely into your you know let's say it's like a kata but you know in a way it is right because you're training with yourself there's that integration you know and like the cliche is mind body and spirit we hear that you know and and but but that's such an elusive and what i teach is mind body and breath because it's like mind we know what that is. It's your awareness. It's your consciousness. The body, that's the obvious. We, mm. we can touch it and see it and feel it. But the spirit is like, it means different things to different people. What is, is it God? Is it, you know? Right, right. So the breath, that's something that we understand. And so now with the mind, body, and breath, the breath is the conduit that connects the mind with the body. And it's via the breath that we're able to integrate our right. movements and our and our consciousness, and that's the flow, right? And that's yeah. the martial art, that's the jujitsu, that's the kettlebell. The way that I'm doing with the kettlebell, it's that flow, like our autonomic nervous system, right? Our organs are functioning by themselves, but the one thing we can control 
is that breath. Yes. Yes. And that's and, the, that's the salvation. And, you know, and a lot of people are not tied into their breathing. And, you know, when they get stressed, they get nervous, you know, they get scared. It's, they stop the breathing and then the body can't function, you know? And it's like, in, now, now we have a lot in this era, we have a lot more awareness about martial art and what works and what doesn't, but that's mostly because of kind of the influence of MMA and jujitsu. But, you know, you go back 20 years, you know, these karate and kung fu schools, like the guy's a black belt and he's, you know, whipping everyone to school. Then he gets in a street fight and he gets his ass kicked because of like freeze, you know, and your skills, like when you freeze your skills, you can't use them. Your body just locks up. And that's, you know, that's where the breathing is like, we learn to slow it down and just stay calm and then and then as you said our autonomic nervous system right. can can the muscle memory just comes out from there how, how did you meet scott just yeah so the first meeting of scott son and uh we actually were invited as a, a vip guests a guy named fairfax hackley uh this is back in columbus that's a, that's ohio a name, huh? fairfax yeah hackley. the hack <laughs> the hack attack and hackley's an amazing guy um he actually has been the MC for the Arnold Classic since the very mm. beginning. Because Arnold, Arnold, they're not anymore, but at that time, right, Arnold right. has business partners, a guy named Jim Lorn Lornimer. And they started, the originally the Arnold was just a, a famous bodybuilding show. And then it grew into this sports festival where they had Martial you know, arts and everything. Because I every went there in 2003, 2004. Yeah, they have the jiu-jitsu there. They have Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting. They have kettlebell lifting, gymnastics, rhythmic gymnastics. Mm -hmm. I mean, every sport you can imagine, there's more than 100,000 uh, 100, athletes that, that yeah, I remember not that. this year, but right. you know, normal times. So Hack's kind of the MC that's been running that since the early, early days. And, you know, Hack had brought myself there to do some kettlebell hmm. uh, training. And he brought us uh, Scott there to do some, some club bell or tack fit training. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we were both uh, guests at, there was a UFC fight there. And at that, it was like, I think 2004. And Randy Couture was the headline. He was fighting for the heavyweight title. I'm trying to remember who he was fighting, but uh, he, he won the heavyweight title at that Tim fight. Sylvia? I think it was Sylvia. Yeah. That's right. Yep. It was Sim Sylvia and it was in Columbus, Ohio. So because he uh, fought for the heavyweight title, right? Right. Yeah. Right. He yeah. had been light heavy and he moved up to heavy at that mm -hmm. point. And uh, so we uh, hack cat gave us some ringside tickets. And so Scott and I were sitting next uh, to each other there. And that's that's when we first met and started talking. But I had known of Scott prior to that, you know, just from uh, just from basically the Internet. And I know at one time him and him and Pablo were was somehow a little bit maybe not formally associated, but mm -hmm. you know, they were, they were kind of both yeah, pioneers. Like I mean, that. I don't know, but they mentioned each other in their books. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah. Uh, Scott mentions him, mentions Pavel in his club bell book. And, uh, was it power to the people? The, yeah. One of the original ones. Like, uh, that's right. Yeah. And that uh, was even Pavel mentioned Scott and before his the kettlebell, right, it was right. just power of the people. It was like barbell with deadlift and one arm, okay, okay. one arm side press, I think. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I had seen his name a lot around that time mm. prior to meeting him. And even like the, it wasn't called, it was before Z Health. It was called Zadorif. Zadorif. Mm -hmm. And he was involved also in that. And I remember reading about that. Yeah. So we didn't actually meet until that, that UFC fight. And then uh, subsequently to that, we had a couple interactions where um, 
I know some of his tack fit guys had been guys that had trained with me in mm -hmm. IKFF and, you know, down in South America and Chile mm -hmm. and Mexico and some other places. So he had reached out to me and said, hell yeah, you got some great guys down here in Chile and, um, small, it's a small yeah, world, right? When yeah. You, when you get, get down to it. Right. And then, uh, he had done, Scott had done some work going back, I think like 2006, 2007 for a while. He was, he was, uh, an advisor for Valeri Fedorenko who was, um, he was actually the first former Russian world champion that mm -hmm. had come to the U S, uh, uh, teaching kettlebells and he he had an organization called uh, AKC American Kettlebell Club and at that I've time I've seen that banner in the old uh, yeah. tech videos and then it became uh, World Kettlebell Club WKC oh, okay you know subsequently to that but when it started it was AKC and he had brought in Scott as his advisor like tactical advisor mm -hmm. and you know and Scott had done like a kettlebell fundamentals program or something at that time going going back like 13 14 years ago um, so yeah, kind of just a lot of overlap between what he was doing and what I was doing. But I think we we only actually met in person that one time, and then talked on the phone a couple times. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's it's funny how huh? things like you we, it happens like years in the past, but you revisit it another time. Like yeah, you're like you're intertwined. You start getting intertwined after a. a yeah. chance meeting right exactly and you Even know he's you a pioneer you know I, i'm a pioneer in what i'm doing right. he was before me you, you know f several years before me you know what, what with what he's doing and you know we're both still yeah active no, and you're still a, doing mean, it you're a beast man you're like <laughs> the youngest uh fi you're, you're 50 years old yeah 50 yeah 50 amazing yeah yeah, yeah. and him too what scott's such a beast you know yeah and it's just wow. the well-being, you know, and, yeah. and, and not stopping right. is, is a huge part of it. Because when people stop, they they get old fast, and you know, because they, there's that saying, "old man strength." That people right. talk about, right. and it's, right. it's true. Like we don't really lose strength, but what we lose is that that spring. And I think it's more to do with the bones. You know, it's like it's Michael Jordan can't jump as high anymore as he could. Mm. You know, and it's like you know, I'm not going to run my my pistol squat jumping pistol squat I, i'm not doing it 36 inches now i can maybe do 30 inches you know in a box for one or two reps right before i was doing like 36 inch box you know for seven eight reps at a time and you know so we lose a little bit of the spring but we don't lose the strength and and i always feel that what we what we lose in kind of physical vitality we can more than make up for in in awareness and in uh being more well-rounded being smarter being more economical mm. in in you know not being because younger people tend to use a lot of energy and burning around and maybe the mind isn't so focused you know and and then we we start realizing man i gotta be smart with how i use my energy because it's like i you know i don't I don't spring out of bed as as easily as i did <laughs> when i was in my 20s yeah. and 30s so yeah. but I think the main thing is just not stopping. Yeah, that's it. You know, because when guys stop, then it's like they start try to start, and it it's very very hard to. St but if you don't stop, you may have to change it. You know, I'm not lifting the heavy kettlebells as much anymore, but I still can do everything, and you know, maybe I have to warm up a little bit more, but you know, um, can still do everything, and and I intend to continue and. You know the universe sometimes has other plans we think it's going to be one way and something else but uh we, we definitely have a, a lot of input in in the way that we age and and the quality of life as, as we get older joey alvarado yeah you've known him amazing guy yeah joey He's the first guy to do like 
like movement with kettlebells, right? He, he just tells he me all was these uh, stories. definitely Joey is a pioneer in the sense that he had the insight to take the jujitsu and the concepts of the jujitsu and move it, you know. So his kettle jitsu mm-hmm. that he started more than a decade ago, I don't remember. Yeah. And you know, Joey and I actually uh, we haven't met in person, but it's like we've known each other for a long time. He's reached out to me a lot of times, and you know, he had expressed to me on multiple occasions that you know that that he had learned a lot you know from from my videos and dvds and and one of the things i've always really respected about joey and i know he's also a black one of your black belts in fact in the jujitsu which he got his black belt like from uh, haj machado but oh he did we've been connected he represented the the team like when he before he was a black belt okay so we've known each other he's helped train some of my fighters, you know, in the past. He's just a big-hearted guy. Yeah, he is. And so I've been, like, his coach, too, like, for, you know, all these years. So, I mean, he is pretty much, right? Yeah, <laughs> now, okay. At this point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see. So j- just that in and of itself is is a great accomplishment. Yeah. But the fact that what I, what I really respected about Joey, you know, for a long time is that he kind of made his own path. He didn't. He didn't have to go under like, oh, I'm going to be one of Pavel's guys or I'm going to be, you know, another, you know, he kind of saw the opportunity and created his own uh, twist mm-hmm. and, and did it his own way. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, these guys are, they're trying to lift the heaviest kettlebells they can for five reps. And these guys over here, they're trying to do, you know, right. 200 reps. And, and those are great ways to do it. But he was he was looking at oh the mobility and the flow like yeah. we do in jujitsu and yeah. maybe we're gonna use light kettlebells but we're gonna make the jujitsu movements more intense with the kettlebell. It always tells me you know it just made it makes it more fun right more dynamic and it keeps people interested. Yeah, longer. it's an art form. It's an art form. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does because it's like uh, you know there's there's martial artists they love to you know, say train the jujitsu, but maybe they're not doing any cross training right. and they could use some more conditioning. And now you add a little kettlebell of that and it's perfectly complimentary. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you have the fitness people that maybe they don't want to do martial arts because right. maybe they're a little afraid, yeah. but then they start seeing elements of it with the kettle jitsu. And now maybe they start becoming right. jujitsu students too. Right. So it kind of brings the two yeah. It's good. Complimentary worlds, yeah. you know, and that's what I'm, you know, that's what, what I'm doing with the Hibero Jiu-Jitsu with, with uh, Sensei Salo and Shanji is like, uh, you know, integrating the kettlebell. And now we can be more complete martial artists. That's and, it. You know, um, because we can't just do one thing. We're going to be really strong, but there's going to be a lot of holes in the game and, you know, and... It's like nothing against if you like powerlifting, you like bodybuilding. Right, right, right. That's yeah. all good yeah, too. Yeah. But but I would say that you know, especially for jujitsu and and martial arts in general, the kettlebell is so complimentary. You know, uh, like the club because the club is handheld. You're working yeah, your grip, on. and if you're not working your grip, you could say that your strength is not really transferable in the real world. Because like if you got like strong biceps but you don't have a strong grip that's not going to help you, <laughs> you know? And so that, that's something where the kettlebell and the clubs are very compatible and that they're, they're training the grip mm. while you're training all the muscular patterns as well. And, you know, for when me, you say the, grip, right. It's like, it's not over gripping. It's not yeah. under gripping. It's getting that intelligence and that connection with your yes, gripping, right? That, that proprioceptive and, and, you know, the fingers more right. so than just the form, because you right. can have a strong form, but it's, you know, and again, we're not, we're not trying to like crush it like right. you would with a heavy bar. You have that kind of sensitivity where yeah. you can clamp it when you need to, but you have that endurance where you can hold on to it. 
and and that's something where this kettlebell specialize and then there's other things where it's like kettlebell teach you keep your elbow in you don't let Principal, that elbow float out transfer, you know yeah. and it's it's the same yeah it's just that's something that you know as you mentioned earlier it's like shanji i've known shanji for 15 years he, he trained with me you know at my house like at least 15 years ago 2006 wow. i think it was and um you know and, and I, we we've been friends ever since but all those years i was never doing jujitsu i was like I was teaching him and that, you know, it was kind of like he was traveling, doing seminars. Mm. I'm traveling. So like four or five times a year, he'd, he'd text me and say, Hey coach, you in town? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I want to work out. And he's always been a VIP. So it was like, I will always make time for Shanji. So I'd be going, you know, train him. And then, uh, about two years ago, uh, a little over two years ago, I was, uh, training them at, at the U down in San Diego the university yeah of huh? yeah and um you know i was just work, yeah mm -hmm. teaching him out teaching him uh a, a kettlebell workout and then uh Salo walks in that's the first time i ever met Salo. you know he's like hey you know <laughs> and he's like uh hey you know it's so great to meet you this and that my brother loves you and he's like why aren't you training jujitsu and i'm like i don't know <laughs> he hands me a gi and that was so, the way he said it, right? Yeah, and it's like his force of personality. It's like, how can I not train jujitsu and Salo Ribeiro? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and like all those years, it's like Shanji. I knew him. I knew his accomplishments, but it, for whatever reason, it's, you know, because Shanji, I think his personality, my personality, are more more similar. Like Shanji's like real low key yeah. guy, super super nice guy, and like Salo's super intense and like, yeah. you know, and they're both amazing but different, and it's like. You know, Salo's force of personality is what kind of got me. And then, you know, from there, after about a year, I brought my son into it. And that's what really uh, made me more dedicated because it was like 17, you said? Yeah, he just turned 17. He got his black belt, or sorry, his blue belt from Salo, which, you know, for me is a really, really good accomplishment at that age, you know, because yeah. you guys don't give out belts easily right, and especially right. to a young guy like that you know he's he's very talented and he's got a lot of potential in the art and um but you know for me on a personal level the bond was incredible and it was like before he was training it'd be like oh i'm busy i'll, I'll skip class maybe mm -hmm. i'll go tomorrow that kind of thing it wasn't you know but then when i brought him it's like look at his age he's got to train every day because if you're going to be good at something, mm. it's got to be a part of your life. It's not something you do on occasion. It's something you do every day. And it's like my responsibility is to make sure that he gets to class. And so now I bring him to class. Now I'm going to mm. class. And family, that got family me to affair. Yeah. So now it's That's like beautiful. I'm training six That's days a week. And, and and he's 17. And you yeah. have two more. You have two Yeah. So I have two daughters. Two daughters. Uh, okay. Yeah. My, my oldest daughter just turned uh, 20, 22 last month. My uh, youngest daughter turned 19 today and then my son turned 17 a couple months ago yeah so so i got uh, two girls and a boy and yeah they're 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 wonderful and they're doing great in life and yeah nice. so we're, we're actually taking a um i'm bringing the three of them we're gonna take a a trip up to alaska we're flying out tomorrow night oh nice yeah we're gonna take nice. four days out there never nice. been there so I'd, yeah. I'd love to go up there my wife doesn't want to go up to the cold uh to Alaska, but it's something yeah. that I've it's on my bucket list summer, for sure. You can maybe maybe compromise. I mean, for me, like for yeah, for her, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but I I want to just I just want to go. Yeah, know, I want to like, go to never been. There. I, I wouldn't mind even being in the cold, you know. Yeah, to really feel it. You I know? love it. I love yeah. it. And uh, I guess you know we should be able to catch some northern lights if we stay up 
if we're willing to stay up past past one in the morning, we should be able to catch that Aurelia Borealis. And uh, yeah, so that, that that's an interesting play. I like the cold as well. Um, I'm friends with Wim Hof. Not real close. I mean, I know him. I'm, I'm more friends with his son. But I met Wim Hof uh, about two years ago. And I went through his, uh, his training. Yeah, his training. He's a remarkable guy. And, Amazing, and, huh? Power yeah, what, mind. What, what he's done with the cold is, you know, and I've integrated that as well into into my life. And uh, it's done a lot of good for me. You know, the, the deep breathing, which no one invented that. You know, that's as old as man. You know, right. it comes way from the yoga traditions. But what he's done with combining that and bringing it with the cold and then just kind of making and it the science right kind of yeah. like that kind of gets people to buy in like oh That's it's right. science now he's it's real. the first guy that they really started doing research on. and then it. he proved it by his example that's right like, what is he doing that he's able to not exactly. get frostbite and die yeah. right because i mean he he was doing that since he was a young guy and you know and I, I know i have a friend from holland he's like oh yeah i remember 10 years ago like that's just the crazy guy mm. that jumps in the cold water. Yeah. No, nobody knew about it. And then and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe in the last five years or so, all of a sudden he became this like global phenomenon where all these famous people are talking about him and now he's like a, you know, global icon. But it's not an overnight thing. Right, he's right. been doing it forever. Oh, yeah. But when they did the studies, you know, the first one, I don't know if it was at Harvard or maybe Wayne State, one of the university, the first one, they did it and he showed all these favorable results for immunity but they're like oh you're just a freak of nature and he's like no 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 anyone can do it and then then harvard did the commission study mm. where they had uh, like the two groups of i think 10 and they injected them with the ebola virus low dosage is not enough to kill you but make you sick <laughs> and the ones that weren't doing the wim hof they all got sick they all had symptoms of you know cough and phlegm and and yeah. headache and you know uh, fever and the ones that were doing the Wim Hof, all system. of them over, you know, and that's when the when the science starts saying, okay, wait a minute, this stuff really works. And when he does this presentation, he shows like <laughs> these videos, and he shows like the library of a university with these thousands of books, and he and the, he's like, oh yeah, the doctors say, yeah, the, the scientists are like, you see these books? It's <laughs> like because of you, we got to rewrite all of them. <laughs> because of you, yeah, they that's how it is, though, right? I mean, the the top scientists, right? They yeah. they always say like we think, but we don't know. Yeah, right. Because you have to be humble. Well, the humble scientists, will the honest ones, the honest ones, right? Yeah, the not honest the ones, ones that are kind of paid by some lobby group to show, and you know, academic uh, to get some. Yeah. yeah, and and you have a lot of that in the Special biomechanics and in, in the physical education. You have a lot of guys; they're tenured. And, you know, when you get tenured, that's the job you want to hold on to. And you're not very open-minded to, to, to things that change the game. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are being taught in the physical education that really are, are outdated and archaic. And, you know, but the scientists like, no, the science says, and they're very right, rigid. Right, but then right. you have guys like my friend David Weck, who's the guy that he invented the BOSU, which is a famous product all over. But he's right. a brilliant biomechanist and he's evolved running the way we run the mechanics and understands things, you know, and, and the top scientists, you know, and the, you know, top scientist guy SMU that is probably considered the premier, you know, performance uh, Institute, you know, he's like, Oh no, no, this, you know, no, you got to brace your core and swing your arms. And, but we're all different, right? <laughs> yeah. How can you be, you know, so, so strict on everything or we're all different. We have different ner nervous systems, so many factors, so many different factors, right. That yeah. go into, being human, being alive, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, you have well, to. Well, it's the science is like true science, yes, but, the, you know, the, the word science is thrown around a lot as kind of a, 
intellectual laziness as a way to shut people up. It's like, I don't want to argue with you, so I'm just, the science says, and it's like, right. that's the end of the conversation. Right, you know, like, like right, the, New ner nervous system things, brain things, neuroscience, right? And fascia things that we didn't right. have the imaging technology on. Like right. five years ago, six years ago. I mean, it's changed everything, right? Yeah. Like we see things that we didn't see before. That's right. So if you were a doctor before, or not, I mean, if you're not up to date, right? Like it's a it's a different thing, right? And and without the... Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a this. Well, ask them questions, right? And see how they respond. See how they, what, say, what they say. Yes. We have to keep a little bit of the cup can't be completely full so i like we talk about the the you're saying like the people that have been around for it it's been thousands of years old like the acupuncturists and these things right from yeah. eastern medicine right that yeah. that worked there's a reason why it worked right. right but oh the science doesn't verify it so okay but it works <laughs> hundreds there's of thousands why. of people millions of people you know report favorable results and that doesn't right carry you know and so now we have you know they call it integrated medicine Right. And it didn't really start changing until finally, like, alternative medicine started actually outpaced in terms of profit. More people were, were paying for alternative medicine right. than for conventional medicine. So then the Western medicine model has to look at that and say, oh, well, we better, we better get involved with this and now. And so now they have integrated medicine where you have certain physicians that are open-minded about acupuncture and Ayurveda and, and they're, you know, and... You know, guys like maybe Deepak Chopra are people that have kind of tried to bridge that gap of, you know, East meets Joe West. Joe Dispenza, right? Yeah, like Joe Dispenza is you know, amazing. He's I amazing because he yeah. talks about the science. He gets the buy-in on the science, right? Yes. Yes. So. He's an amazing guy. Exactly. And just that open, we can learn from tradition. We can progress and respect those who came before us simultaneously. It doesn't need to be right. an either or right. type of thing. Right. What's your uh, favorite teaching moment of your career? You've been teaching for since your Kung Fu days to your kettlebells. What's your favorite teaching moment? Uh, you know, there's, there's three that, that probably jump out at me. Um, two related to the, well, there's probably more than three, but, um, you know, uh, some, some from the martial arts, some from the kettlebell. But uh, one was definitely my friend that has the one arm friend Victor down in uh, Ecuador uh, that, you know, very inspiring that he was able to get through that, you know, and just, man, you, you guys are crying. You got two arms and two legs and this guy's got one, one, one arm. He's not making any excuses. Power of the human just, spirit. Huh? Yeah. You know, so that was really incredible. Just uh, in the last two weeks, there was a woman, interestingly enough, also from Ecuador, we did on Zoom, but she's nine months pregnant. She just had her baby. And she did her her recertification because because mm. she trained in that when I was in Ecuador two years ago and her level one uh, IKFF was was uh, expired so she wanted to recertify nine months pregnant baby due any day and she did the test mm. she wanted to you know and um, I changed it a little because like uh, normally the women do it with the twelve kilograms like twenty six pounds but for her um, I didn't want her doing too heavy because of the pregnancy so i changed it to make it an eight kilo but she had to do way more reps mm. she had to do like 160 uh swings and had to do like uh, 120 snatches and mm. you know 50 squats and uh uh how many i think uh 50 clean and press 
you know, and, and so it was a 23 minute from start to finish, 23 minutes without putting the bell down, without stopping, you know, and that's just amazing that that she was able to maintain that focus being, you know, nine months with a big belly like out to here, you know, so that to me is like super inspiring, mm. you know, for, for everybody, obviously for women and for pregnant women, like you, you don't need to, you don't need to just kick your feet up and stay at home. You can actually live your life and do stuff and stay strong. And, you know, so that was an amazing one. Um, recently, I actually certified my sensei, Salo Hubero, in, in kettlebell. So he did his level one, and that was mm. awesome because he only had one month of training, and usually it's like a three-month training. But he just, you know, that, that, will, that willpower. And, you know, I was really proud of that, you know. And um, and then the other one is, like, when I when I go back to, like, my kung fu teaching days, this was, um, it was probably about 10 years ago. But I was at a blockbuster. And, um, you know, before <laughs> blockbuster was still a thing, right? And uh, this lady came in. And basically, I had taught her son probably going back to like i was teaching her son probably like 86 between like 1986 and 1990 so 30 years ago and you know when i when i was teaching her son he started with me when he was like six years old and probably trained with me till he was nine or ten and um she came to me and it's like you know what i remember she's like you changed my son's life you know we'll always remember what you did and you know you were so such an important um role model for him and you know helped him to develop that discipline and that confidence you know for me that's a beautiful moment a as a teacher where you find out that many years later there was someone especially with a young person where you're able to impact them in a positive way mm -hmm. and and as a result they become a a better human and that that's the most rewarding thing really you know, so all those things in yeah. different ways or yeah. you know, inspiration and, and also like uh, reinforcement that, you know, when I'm on the right path, I'm doing something that that is your value, cool, yeah. you know, to humanity. And that's yeah. that's a wonderful feeling because I, I, I can about. I can go to sleep and feel good about myself. I'm not I'm not stealing. I'm not, you know, just trying to make money and rip people off. I'm actually giving value that that pays many times more in dividends. You know, and uh, that that's just a really nice feeling for me. Worst moment. Worst moment, man, you know, really is when the uh, having to fly um, overseas, like to Australia, which I'm looking at like a probably a 36 hour trip, you know, 16 and a half hours nonstop from L.A. to Sydney. And it's like right as I'm about to walk out the door, you know, my my wife at the time, you know, we have this massive fight, this massive blow up, and I don't even remember what it was about, but she's super angry, and it's like, oh, you know, you're you're horrible. I don't ever want to see you again. I'm like, I have to go to Australia, you know, and it's right just, when you're going to go to the airport, exactly, you know, and then I'm like flying thinking about it yeah just man this is you know and and just what am i doing yeah you know and i sh i need to be there with her and you know fix this and resolve this but you know i have a, a responsibility you know and 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 that would probably be and and it's it's not fair to the students to give you in anything but your best but you're so distracted and you know so uh just you know sad and 
but that's life. You know, we have to, it, it's just an example of, uh, we, we have to face difficulties and we have to stay calm under pressure and we have to figure out a way to, 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 to deal with it and overcome and, and not buckle, you know? So that, that was a very difficult and that's just one example. <laughs> These types of things happen a lot, you know, over the years. Um, I mean, it's a huge commitment, right? To dedicate yeah. yourself to the craft. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, where, where the uh, professional and, and the personal sort of integrated in, in a way that wasn't a positive thing. And, and you kind of have to have your game face on even while, you know, internally right. your life is like feels like it's falling apart. Th those have been always the most difficult. Yeah, but, but uh, in terms of the teaching and in terms of the interaction, I really can't say I've had too many bad experiences, you know, because uh, it's just something that, that is really uh, important to me, you know, but there were bad experiences around that where, where I, I didn't feel focused mm. and, and being able to give my 100% all to, to those students that were there for me, you know. Uh, but that, but that's life. We we have bad days, and and we still have to keep going. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, part of being a professional, right? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, thank you for thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inspiring a lot of people around the world. Thank you for you know your dedication to the craft. I mean, it's super inspiring for me to. I know how. I mean, I can't imagine I'm how hard it is. Thank you for the amount of traveling and just dedication, right? And giving, 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 right? And a lot of the times you don't see any returns, right? But uh, yeah. as a teacher myself, but then, you know, traveling internationally like you have, you know, it's uh, changes definitely changes things, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a big as it another another level of commitment. It is, you know, and for me, it is also a great reward and a great blessing, mm -hmm. you know, as well. And uh, so I always look more about the blessing of it look more the so than the side, sacrifice yeah. no, of sure, it. For sure, yeah, for and sure. Yeah, they, they go together. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, how can people find more about uh, uh, your federation and about you? Yeah, so the, the best way, uh, right now my website's being reconstructed. So my website is ikff.com. Okay. Uh, the best way to, to, to reach out to me is actually over Instagram. So my Instagram is Steve Cotter IKFF, and you can just shoot me a DM. And then uh, they can also check out my YouTube channel, and that's uh, IKFF channel. And okay. I have a couple hundred, you know, videos of mobility and kettlebells and awesome. body weight stuff, and yeah, a lot of stuff there. So awesome. love to hear from you guys anytime. Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you. you, brother. Thank you. Very